Today on the Nerd Outcast podcast, we talk about The Mandalorian. Welcome back. I'm your host, Chris Bashan. And like I mentioned just a moment ago, we are going to talk about Disney Pluses or Lucas something or rather The Mandalorian, uh, the hit TV show that is probably the uh, MCUification soon of what is Star Wars. Um, I brought on a group of experts to to come and chat with me about this, what I think is a pretty fantastic show. Uh Go on and introduce introduce yourselves. Hey, I am Kitten McCreary. I live in Los Angeles, California. Uh, I am an actress out here uh, and voiceover artist. And one of my favorite things about the Star Wars universe is that oftentimes our so-called heroes are kind of douchebags. Uh, DJ Fink. I live in Evanston, Illinois, which is just north of the great city of Chicago. And one of my favorite things about Star Wars is just uh, hands down how cool it, it must be to be a Jedi. Uh, I'm Ryan Bond. I'm also from Evanston, Illinois. Uh, I work as a digital product manager, and I'm on the board of a sci-fi theater, so I think I've got some cred here. Uh, and I think for me, what I liked about Star Wars is the hero's journey and seeing how it gets realized across characters and across all the generations and how they kind of continue to lean in on that as a motif. Hey, I'm Crispy and from Atlanta, and... Um... I'm a big fan of Star Wars and have been my entire life, mostly because it looks like science fiction, but it's actually fantasy. And that has allowed for a nice wealth of creativity to come out of this just fantastic universe. Very awesome. Those are all of our experts who feel they can speak with some authority on this given subject today, my dear listeners, as is uh, typical for my podcast, sometimes not typical. I have uh, procured an outcast for today's discussion, somebody who is not quite as familiar with The Mandalorian and perhaps Star Wars in general. We'll find out. What is your name? Hi, I'm Smyra. I live in Chicago, Illinois. Um, I'm a, an accounting bookkeeper. I used to be a stage manager. Now I'm an accounting bookkeeper for a company that builds houses in West Africa. Wow. Okay, that's great. Uh, Smyra, I still like. I stage manager still like sticks out in my head, like in my heart. It, you know, it's still how I identify internally. Right. Like it's just like, it's just that's just part of who you are. Like that DNA is there, and it's fantastic, fantabulous. Um, Smyra, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. It's. I think the last time I was, well, yeah, we mentioned earlier, the last time I was on, we talked about Star Trek Voyager. So whenever that episode was. That episode was a couple of years ago at this point. And that was a fantastic episode because we had a writer on from Star Trek Voyager. So it was like this kind of cool peek behind the curtain of like how the show was written, which was just really, really fun. Yeah, it was super fun. She confirmed for me that voyager was the ship of useless men and that's like a lifetime highlight of mine <laughs> you, know, you know what let's just go listen to that episode we're done here everyone good job um, it was pretty great I it think. was it was a pretty great episode um no that episode uh was uh was really fantastic so dig through the archives and go find it um it was it was quite a joy uh so smyra we know you are a star trek fan mm-hmm. um are you a star wars fan i would say 
uh, I would, I, I like it, but I'm not as into it even as much, I think, as the average person now with the advent of the Mandalorian and all of the movies, you know, the, the good ones I really like and I enjoy and the bad ones, like I just forget, I'm not emotionally invested enough to get upset about the bad movies. And that's kind of where I stand. May I, may I ask what you think is the good ones? What if I said episode one? No, it's <laughs> obviously like Return of the Jedi is great. I saw um, Rogue One in IMAX and I was just like, what a great, like just what a great movie, like baseline, even if it wasn't a Star Wars movie. Like I really liked it. Um, yeah, those are probably my two favorites. Okay, cool. Um, I love Return of the Jedi. So you're, you're already on a good foot with me. So. Um, so you have not seen The Mandalorian, correct? Correct. Okay. Have you seen any of the Star Wars, you know, shows that have preceded it, like Clone Wars or Rebels? No, I have never seen any of it. Okay. Do you have Disney Plus? I do not. Oh, wow. Probably be why. Oh, God. Okay. Um, God, uh, I got to go make some phone calls. I'll be right back. <laughs> um, no, perfect. Uh, Smyra, then you are definitely someone that we want to talk to. You, you are the outcast for our show today. So you have what I call the wand of outcast. You are allowed to ask questions and take the discussion wherever you want it to. Um, all of our guests have questions that, that I sent out beforehand, but if there's anything that you are dying to know, that is, that is all the power that you, you have that power. So I bequeath that to you. Take it. And in fact, you're host now. I'm going to leave. So what a huge mistake on your part. Let's, let's begin. (laughs) Um, I do, before we, before we begin, I do want to know, Smyra, like what is your favorite science fiction property? Hmm. I mean, Star Trek is the obvious answer. There's such a wealth of it, and there's it's so diverse. If you want like actiony Star Trek, you can get it. If you want really cerebral Star Trek, you can get it. Um, and you know, just come ask me, and I'll tell you what to watch. Very good. Um, but I would say, I don't know if it's a favorite, but it's a sleeper. This the um, the series Electric Dreams, which was adaptations of Philip oh, K. Dick and short stories. It's amazing. Unbelievable unbelievably good and it had everything that i like about science fiction which is some some people's complaint about star trek is that it is too cerebral it's fundamentally about ideas before character and before plot and before action and before all of those things and the best versions have a little bit of everything but i yeah that's that's something that i was just like this is the height of science fiction for me like what an excellent you know product awesome uh, my experts, we're, we're going to make this a two-way street. If at any time you have a question for Smyra, you are by all means allowed to ask it. Um, just everybody be nice. So, <laughs> Awesome. Well, let's dive in, my friends. Uh, I'm going to start this off with a, one of the bigger questions that we had. Um, does Star Wars work on television? And if so, why and, and like how? Like why, why is Star Wars just now coming to television? You know, like we've had this kind of rich property for so long you know if it works now why does it work now better than you know like the droids cartoon show or whatever came before i mean star wars television has been a thing for almost 20 years though i mean but i think with mandalorian it's being delivered into the public eye specifically because of disney plus right because we live in a streaming age that it made it accessible and I think the Mandalorian just came out at a right place, right time. One, to expand the universe in a way to connect the old fans and new fans together. But also, this is the first time we've had a live-action experience that has stood on its own. Like, you can count all the spinoff movies and other experiences 
but this this one felt like a complete thing, and you know Favreau and Filoni uh, being at the core of that, and Kathleen uh, Kennedy, just they came to it with just honesty and open and openness. They made a show that they knew that they would want to watch, and in turn, I think that allowed a show that a lot of other people wanted to watch. And I think that those are big factors as to why this works. And I think to like Chris's point that Star Wars has been on TV for a long while. You know, if we go back to Clone Wars and Rebels at the very least through some of those. And yes, we can leave droids out of it. Um, but I would even say even just the Lego, even some of the Lego Star Wars things are have been there. And kids have been exposed to some of those TV episodes that it's there. I think where it jumps into the mainstream was that it went with live action and this idea that people say well i'm not going to watch a cartoon because that's for kids kept really it in the hands of mostly the super fans or those people that had children that the kids watched it and then a parent got pulled along to kind of be a, a couch surfer along with that so mandalorian like like a game of thrones took you know complex stuff and put it in someone's hands going, well, I'm not going to read, you know, all these novels from George R. R. Martin, but I'll watch the show. And this says, I'm not going to watch the huge wealth of information that is a Clone Wars or a Rebels, because those are for kids. And I can watch a 20, you know, a 30 minute episode. And of course, because you get the societal pressure, everyone's tweeting about it, and Facebooking and Instagramming about it, you got to follow that train that wasn't happening with some of the previous shows. Plus a pandemic helped too. That Spyro, you being the outcast and not being a part of this fandom, Brian's point there is a great observation about how we're all engaged with social media, and specifically with Mandalorian. Like, I know I cared about the show. I had to wake up early on Friday morning to watch it just so social media wouldn't spoil it, because it's water cooler conversation right out the gate. How is it like to you to experience all of that social media impact, this being like the first big show for you, not necessarily being a fan of it? Well, I don't have a Twitter or Facebook anymore, so I didn't get too much pressure there. And it's not like you don't see a lot of it on Instagram, but I, there's like a, a this like frozen in time moment where back in the before times when I would stage manage burlesque shows, we would <laughs> raffle off um, like weird shit. Like we would raffle off just the weirdest science fiction shit we could find and occasionally really nice stuff. And somebody crocheted a little baby Yoda for us. And it was really cute. And I like knew at that point, like, oh, I know what, I know what that is. And then there was also this pencil drawing of Jean-Luc, shirtless Jean-Luc Picard and Data like embracing each other. And it was the, just the weirdest, most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my life and I was losing my mind and everyone came over to the table and I'm like guys get a load of this and everyone was just like oh, a baby Yoda and I was not like not upset but like really genuinely surprised and I was like wow I am like not plugged into something that <laughs> that is like really moving to other people that they don't see this naked Jean-Luc Picard and data picture so that's that's like the moment in time where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm outside of this. <laughs> so, sorry, just to ask a follow-up to specifically that piece of artwork, like was mm -hmm. it celebrating their friendship or was it like a, like a, a ro romantic thing between Captain Picard why, and Data? Why can't it be both, Chris? I, I, just wanted, both? I just wanted, I'm just curious about the nature of the artwork. <laughs> yeah, like all art is open to interpretation. I would say like depends on... I, I, no, it was like super gay. It okay, was, <laughs> it was super gay. All right, all right, fair enough. 
Um, to bring it to bring it back to kind of that first question, uh, Kitten DJ, like how does this live action show? And we've you know now that we have ventured into the realm of live action television with Star Wars, like why does it work? If it does, I think it works because we've we've had so much time with the movies. We've had so much time with Star Wars in a live action environment, but we've also had the animations, which has given us the whole, like we can take different characters of this world. We can take different pieces of this environment that don't necessarily have to be tied to the Skywalkers and figuring all of them out and just make a series for them. We can just make a series for them and it's fine. And we're also looking at the fact that technology has come so far. I mean, Steven Spielberg was trying to get a live action Star Wars series made, I don't know, like 10, 12 years ago. And, you know, it's like, no, too expensive. Not, not going to do it. But, you know, then we had like more movies pop up both, you know, from the the original the original quote unquote nine then we had the spinoffs of rogue one and all of that and that just sort of proved to the networks and to disney specifically after they bought uh, all the star wars properties and lucasfilms that there's a market for this so they can put money into this they can get it made and they'll make that money back and you know as previously mentioned with the advent of everything on streaming services now Disney Plus really came up and commodified being like, hey, we're going to have this thing that we charge people extra money for. And Mandalorian was specifically set up to be one of their anchor pieces. One of their pieces to be like, you know what? The moms and dads out there might not pay an extra however much a month just to have all of the Disney princess movies at their fingertips over and over again. We need to give them something else. We need to give something that adults with an income are willing to pay for because children don't have an income. Children aren't buying Disney plus the adults are. So that to me, I think is the funniest part of this whole thing because it's like, Ultimately, the driver for what makes this work is corporate greed, knowing that you've got, you know, parents out there who were raised on Star Wars in the books and the the terrible Ewok movies and all the Lego things. And they can bilk the the kids that are going to be coming up and watching all the stuff on the streaming service anyway. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm grateful that all these things came together. You've got the technology aspect. The, the knowing that you've got an audience that's begging for this material from kind of the original, you know, the original source materials of, of all that. You've got a guy who has proven his, uh, you know, bona fides with the, the animated shows who can step in. You've got the guy who essentially launched the Marvel Cinematic Universe who's interested in doing this too because he's a fan. So all these things come together at the right time with a little bit of corporate greed you know, from the house of mouse. And we have this amazing product that there's going to be a star Wars TV show. Absolutely. How much do you need me to give you? I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. And so it's just, it's funny how, you know, if this were something that we're launching every Friday on ABC, for example, I don't think it would be 
as popular. And it probably mm-hmm. also wouldn't be as good because Disney Plus being like a streaming platform, like it's a direct money in product out. Like they're not relying on advertisers to fund these things. They're relying on a subscriber base to do this. They're relying on marketing for all of the tchotchkes that are going to come out of it. So, you know, they're they're there for that. And of course, Disney is going to further commodify that with, you know, Star Wars World at Disneyland and Disney World and, and all of that. So if you had one of your major networks, your ABC or NBC or whoever else making this, they would not be funneling as much money into it. And I think we have to acknowledge that a large part of what makes this work, what makes a Star Wars universe work as a live show, is the technology that's gone into building these worlds. Having Shooting this on a stage that is a full surround green screen and well, then... it's, not, it's not even green screen. It's not, not even oh, green screen. Right. But it's, it's, have, you, have, you, have you seen the special on the volume? Have you seen that special on the on the gallery yet? I have not. Okay, so I, I apologize for interrupting, but I want to no, put no. a button on that. It's not green screen. It's an, just an, an, an LED space. All the walls are LED. The ceiling's LED. And they a lot of what you see on the show, there's very few true practical effects. There are very few set pieces that are built. They line everything up in a way where the camera sees the focus all the time and where it shifts, the background moves. They can do dynamic lighting on the fly and things like that. Um, if you haven't watched the the gallery specials, I actually just watched them in preparation for our <laughs> recording. Uh, if nothing else, watch the episode on the volume and the technology and that will blow you away. It's because of John Favreau specifically, to DJ's point, that we have the technology. His work on uh, Jungle Book led to this, his work on Iron Man, and then more specifically, The Lion King. All three of those pieces came together into what create the technology. You're right, because that technology drives the reality. And I think that's why it works in flesh and blood, even though most of it isn't, because everything, us watching at home, it looks tactile. You can go out and touch and interact with every single thing that you're seeing, at least in your mind. And then when you go back and realize how much of it really wasn't, it's really astounding. Well, I think they flipped the script, right? Because Lucas, when he originally had his version of the TV show, and there is a pilot that's floating out there that you can see, you know, it it they were trying to go really big, really busy, really crowded, full sets, you know, whatever. Every, every episode at 15 years ago was going to be a $15 million, you know, crazy episode per cost. And they're like, this just can't be, right? It can't be a $300 million per season show (laughs) and so instead they come up with the volume and they come up with now not only do they like lucasfilm invent so much new technology right so now other shows can start to make use of this they actually fold it back in on itself so it's a much more intimate show yes there are broader landscapes and you see a lot of that but really it's a lot of close angle close you know conversation it doesn't really have the grandeur of the movies uh through some of that so they're using that space to its fullest to kind of be in that particular way. Um, and I, and that's that's what I think was is so fascinating about that technology that they said, well, yeah. Lucas had the right idea, but let's just flip the script. The, the, the intimacy of the production and the presentation, I think, are, are bold. And what they did with The Mandalorian, uh, it's rare that you can actually say this honestly, but they literally have changed the television and movie industry with this show. 
from a technical aspect. And, and, and John Favreau has done a couple of interviews where he talks about the fact that like they're constantly inviting other producers and other companies in to see it. what they do. He's like, we we don't want to keep this a secret. We don't want to hold other productions back. We want everybody out there who's making entertainment to have access to as many of these tools as possible. To, and I think about the shows that are things. coming, right? Like uh, Lord of the Rings has a show coming and you've got hmm. Wheel of Time with Robert Jordan, some huge, huge shows that like I'd like them to finish their shows. And if they spend so much money on... <laughs> big sets and big expensive, you know, on location things, maybe things like the, you know, the volume will be able to get us some of those things without breaking the bank for future other shows too. Yeah. I have a question. I have a question for you guys who are fans, presumably have been fans for a long time. It seems like the, the visual aspect is a huge part of Star Wars. Like it has been from the first movie. Like that's what blew people away was like seeing spaceships that looked like they were really flying through space. Um, So I was wondering how much of that is essential to Star Wars. And if there was a show that didn't have that big expansive visual element, would it still feel like Star Wars? Or is there something else to you that is like, that is essential to a Star Wars piece, whether it's, you know, obviously the Mandalorian doesn't have the main characters that everyone associated with Star Wars for a long time. So what is that like essential thing? Yeah, you're spot on with the the scope of the thing being essential. Uh, You know, like when they did episode four and you talk about how someone, they just saw a spaceship for the first time on screen. Obviously that's not my generation. That's my father's generation, unfortunately. But to hear them talk about that experience was mind blowing. And I think that key point there, and that's kind of what I hit on earlier with the tactile thing. A lot of my friends are puppeteers on Star Wars products. Like I'm like, they literally have their hands in things, uh, makeup designers, costume designers. And so I think rooting the fantastical in the reality is important for those of us who have been fans our entire life. And I'll let the other panel speak for themselves on that. But I think the idea that, yeah, we know this is fictitious, but the fact that I can go to Star Wars land and buy and build my own lightsaber you know, I, it's one of those things that I think is very important that, that even though it's a fantasy piece, the fact that it does have that connection, that, that reality behind it is very strong. Yeah, that's interesting. It, the, the original, the 4, 5, and 6, they don't, I mean, it doesn't take place in the future. It's like outer space that feel, it looks real for that reason. Lived in. Yeah. Well, and that's the influence of, you know, the spaghetti westerns and, you know, some of the Japanese influence that goes into these things is we're essentially watching, you know, stuff that was retelling of stories that were from here on Earth, but done in this gigantic space setting. So that's why, you know, you compare Star Trek and the gleam white, you know, steel of the ships, right? Um, and the associations that you make there, no matter what Star Trek show it is, you see you get that opening and you get the ship or the station, but there's always that upbeat tone. If you were to take that same thing and play, you know, the Enterprise showing up but with the Imperial March over it, right, it would break your mind a little bit. So in the same way, I think for Star Wars, you expect that there is still like all these big things. Um, that little bit of grittiness to things because it's not the technology that is fantastical about it. It's the fact that they've got the technology 
and yet there are still these small stories. There still is this element of magic and fantasy. There are, you know, certainly creatures, but that's old hat. It's like, oh, I mean, with this story specifically, oh, we came across a creature that's still very rare, and that's the thing. Not just that it's an alien, it's that it's this little tiny one, and he's really, really powerful. You know, these are the kind of elements that continue to be thematic to Star Wars, that um, just like, you know, there are the things in Star Trek that if you did it a different way, it's like when you see bad green screen, something about your brain is just going to see it and go, that that doesn't work. Yeah. Look at Ryan's camera, for example. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do think, though, that like the Mandalorian and the movies are kind of aiming for two different things. And like we've brought up the word intimate a lot, which I think is a great description of the Mandalorian. I would describe parts of the Star Wars saga as intimate, but it's really like a huge like scope. Like six of those movies are dealing with war, you know, and like this huge conflict. Um, what I'm curious about is like, could you flip it? Like, could you have the Mandalorian eventually deal with like large scale, you know, spectacle set pieces, almost like the Avengers or whatever? And would that work? And can Star Wars movies like go the other way and you know like would you all want to see a star wars movie that was like two hours of essentially like mandalorian or whatever you know like would those things do they work if we flip them that's just a I hypothetical think gonna, oh, I, I think we, go I, ahead, Chris. I, i'm sorry I, I think we got a taste of that with solo mm. like i'm gonna ignore rogue one because rogue one was still very much the sweeping they're part of a war but solo was the first real foray into film for star wars where let's take an intimate character and see how that works. Now, ultimately, Solo didn't work for a lot of reasons, and we can, we can do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> we will. Just because just because I love it, and my friend who was the lead puppeteer, he's like, you actually like Solo? I'm like, it was fine. He's like, huh, okay. Just because it was this broken <laughs> film doesn't necessarily mean like they should stop doing it. I definitely think Solo made them gun-shy. But I think they're learning with The Mandalorian that intimacy done right with a guided focus which is what solo lacked something with a guided focus from the very beginning to tell that story like ryan mentioned where they're pulling from you know lone wolf and cobb they're pulling these or was a dj these familiar things applying it to story that we know and that's why star wars episode four works so well because it was the hero's journey and everyone knew it was very intimate with that story as well so i think we, we as mando ages especially as we get to the boba fett chapter we're definitely, I think the show is going to open up into bigger things. Whether or not the movies get smaller, we don't know because we really don't know the, even though Disney said, here's our future of stuff, we really we really don't know. And I, th- I think they'd be smart to, to kind of shift that balance. So sorry, DJ, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, some of the same. The, the season two ending kind of is the hint of like, to draw a parallel, if anybody watches all the, the CW superhero shows, right? It starts off with one character and then they kind of backdoor pilot another and then another one gets introduced. And now we're all used to, well, once a season, they all get together and do these giant things. So now we've introduced, you know, uh, the kind of lone gray Jedi, if you want to use that term. We've got the reintroduction of kind of the original Mandalorian, as we call, I call, we kind of all experienced it that way. You know, so you're branching into three shows, but this world always seems to have those things where they overlap on top of each other. Over, I mean, that's, there's a reason they keep coming back to Tatooine. It's not just because it's uh, you know, a place that they've used and they've got the sets. It's because 
you know, if you want to believe in the stuff about the force that there are these interconnections that we can't see, there's these places and times and things that they all come together. So I think we're going to continue to see those things for limited amounts. Um, the world, the world is pretty familiar with John Favreau. Um, thanks to Marvel, uh, Dave Filoni is a huge aspect of the show, and we've been, have invoked his name quite a few times thus far. So I feel we should talk a little bit about. You know, who is Dave Fialoni? What is his relationship to Star Wars? And what does it mean to be a Dave Fialoni show? I don't think there's any bigger Star Wars fan than Dave Filoni. <laughs> and and, and I, I mean that with all the love in the world. Because even they talk about in interviews, like you could be on set and go up and ask him, like, everything. But he's not the gatekeeping kind of fan that you kind of hear about with Star Wars fandom in this day and age. He's the honest, pure, I love it. You know, he got to live his dream about interviewing with George Lucas and how he got hired into the Clone Wars animated series and things like that. He was he was he was a fan first, and then after that, like I said, you're never going to find anyone who loves it and is always happy to talk about it with anyone and everyone. And his passion and his love, combined with Favreau, well, is is why this show works as well. Um, I'm I'm going to uplift this show and not put down on the product. That's something that's my goal here. But I think specifically one thing that they do really, really well is that they treat all these storylines honestly. And that's one thing that Filoni, even you go back to Star Wars, you go back to Rebels. Uh, the ending of Rebels, to this day, Rebels, I will say this, Rebels, for a cartoon show, has two of my absolute favorite lightsaber fights in the entire Star Wars franchise. Mm-hmm. And But that's because, again, Filoni understood the the honesty of everything and he definitely takes that approach into everything that he touches so i think him being a fan helps with that honesty and i appreciate you know with when you mentioned about the lucas portion of it right like he's he's the last of any of the old guard that really seems to be there right he's studied under lucas and he's bringing that and he gets the heart of what lucas tried to do and i think when we look at some of the directors who went to go and do the sequel trilogy they were trying to tell something different. They tried, they kind of maybe missed some of what the heart or the intention was. And maybe House Mouse played a, a heavier role inside that, that's, that space. But Filoni kind of stepped in and brings that opposite end of, you know, when you paired him and Favreau together, you bring someone who's got movies and big franchise stuff on the big end, working with a brainchild of someone who can kind of concoct some of those things, you know, and I think. Favreau has been telling really big stories, but Filoni in the TV series, there are a lot of episodes that are very tiny, very intimate. You know, not a lot really happens in the episode. And I I applaud him as the showrunner or whatever his roles were in kind of deciding those scripts to have such intimate episodes that sometimes didn't even feel like they were going anywhere uh, in some kind of broader tapestry, which I think helps influence some of the episodes that I think some people complain about around Mandalorian going like not a lot happened in that episode or the story didn't move. It was just, we saw Mandalorian do some things. I didn't even see Grogu baby Yoda do anything. He just did some stuff and kind of moved on and there can feel almost like bottle episodes. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. That's that's very much as Brandon. That's a complaint you heard a lot with Clone Wars when Clone Wars was airing. These episodes, nothing happened. Why did I want... Like, that's why Clone Wars didn't really take off very well. Because he, he took those times, and as, as a creator as well, it's important to let your characters and the story breathe and kind of grow on its own. Have it feel organic. And But 
when you're making television, that doesn't necessarily translate as well. So spot on to your point there, Ryan. Some people, like even in the first season, we only had, what, eight, nine episodes in the first season. There was a lot of people who were like, uh, there's not a whole lot happened. Like we're seeing a lot of that with WandaVision right now as well, not to tangent. But we're definitely seeing the attention span of TV viewers be a little bit shorter. And But Filoni pays off, though. If you stick right. with it, it pays off. And whether that was, a, you know, I don't know, a Game of Thrones problem, right? Like so many Game of Thrones episodes were just these big hangers and every episode was, was whatever. And sometimes the stories in A Mandalorian might be really small. And it really is just an Easter egg that becomes like a connection towards something else. That's the only kind of thread that pulls you forward through some of those. And I think we might touch on it later. But, you know, it is the Clone Wars and Rebels episodes where you learn more about the clones themselves that makes the return of Boba Fett, for me, more interesting. Not because it's Boba Fett as I knew him in episodes, you know, five and six, but in the mythology that surrounds him, but because I saw what happened to Rex and Gregor and Wolf, these big clones and that happened in the story and going like, I see why he is who he is. And Filoni is the only one that could have done that. Filoni made those clone stories happen and the Fett that a lot of people saw going, that's not the Fett I knew. Why did he give up? You know, why did he quit? We're like, well, you got to go back and see some of the source material that's new source material and why he may have said, I'm done with the Empire. I'm done with this and I'm going to kind of move on. Uh, and that's great. I mean, I think that's Filoni in small stories and small moments. And, and it's a side look. And it's not not the grandiose that a movie is. Fil- Filoni. Me... Oh, go ahead, Spire. I was just going to say that makes me feel like I might enjoy the Mandalorian more than some other like contemporary sci-fi because I feel like you know I get turned off by a lot of just being punched in the face with like plot and action and sometimes it's like there hasn't been any dialogue for like like what the fuck is happening in this story and why do I care about the outcome uh the the first three episodes there's hardly any dialogue at all and you don't yeah. even see so the main character's think... face. Like, you have nothing to play off. Yeah. It's all physical movement, and you have to lend your own interpretation to kind of what's going on, too. Which it's is the fine. least sci-fi it's, show. It's, <laughs> not, it's not even so much the lines. It's just, like, this this tendency of movies, especially, you know, Marvel movies, to, like, be at this, like, pace and just, like, yeah, really feeling like you're getting punched in the face My, rather than, like, yeah. who are these people and why do I care? My... Like, I, so, yeah. Yeah, my wife um, was was our outcast for Star Wars. Like she had never seen A New Hope um, somehow throughout the course of her life. So you know, as an adult woman, I made her sit down and watch Star Wars A New Hope. And one of the first things she said to me, like as she's like watching C three PO and R two D two just kind of walk around the desert, she's like, "Wow, this is really slow." Like this is <laughs> this is kind of boring, but like I like that. Like it's you know taking its space and its pace, um, and I feel the Mandalorian kind of echoes that a little bit. Like it's like it just it just takes silence and just goes with it, you know. Maybe earns the action a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I uh, think it definitely does. That's a really good observation. Even though as someone who hasn't seen it, that's I think that's a very good description because Mandalorian when it does have action. It's not over-the-top smack you in the face like Marvel, which I'm right there with you on that criticism. I love it, but ooh, calm down. Uh, and yeah, Mandalorian earns the action, and I think that's a really great way to describe that. Well, and Mando's, like, he's generally pretty competent what he does, so the fights don't last real long. You know, it's not a drawn-out, 
Marvel fight that you might see that goes for quite an extended period of time. Like it's he's in and out shoot. He hits and and they're down, and he keeps going. That, that's exactly well, think- why my two favorite fights were Filoni fights because they're as someone who is trained in sword fighting, they're authentic fights. And so these short fights, even with gunfire, it, authentic it feels real. And I'm, yeah, sorry DJ, go ahead. No, I was gonna say because you know I'm I'm I, I, such a big comic book fan that I can appreciate that sometimes the reason comic books were uh, have really long fights is because they needed to draw so many panels to get the dialogue in. So that's where the movie side of that comes from. Whereas, you know, especially something like the Mandalorian, which we've been waiting for this kind of side story from star Wars dealing with, you know, mostly uh, for, at least for me for a long time was just the books and the, the things. So there's, there's often, you just have to read chapter after chapter after chapter before you get that payoff. And I think, there's some translation of that to the small screen for us here where it's like, let's really advance the story, the the fighting and the, the wizards and all the stuff that, you know, that kind of throw into the fantasy aspect that will come. But the driving the, the narrative home is one of the things that really makes it work. And I think to, to follow on DJ's point is that that whole notion of it being side stories of it being side characters i think this is one of the things that does make it a distinctly feloni property because so much of what he's done through through the span of his career really has been about the whole like you know let's take a look at the side characters like let's take a look at these supporting characters these like people in the background and follow them for a while because they're a very real part of this universe and they are the main character in their own story. Like they're not they're not just there to be a sidekick. And I think working in television instead of film is something that makes it's something that's uniquely suited for this. Because maybe they aren't the great big spectacle stories. Like, it's not the whole thing. Like, this is not the story that is about the war that is ripping apart the galaxy. You know, this is one dude who's just trying to get by with this particular code of conduct that he thinks he has to follow while still, like keeping himself fed and keeping a roof over his head as it were and the questionable decisions that come with what you have to do to be able to survive and how much you're willing to compromise and like and he's always looked at those kinds of things if you look at any of the airbender stuff that he worked on it really does you know lend more to that like how far are these these characters, these little, you know, quote unquote, nobodies willing to go in order to, you know, protect them and theirs. And that's, that's where the episodic part of like the, the specific draw from, you know, the lone wolf and cub part really is such a heavy influence because it's like on the big journey, you're going to have, you know, if you're following these characters, they do have to make these stops in each town, in each village, in each separate fight that they need to take up in order to keep on going for their long-term mission. And so, you know, compared to the movies where you've got to jump cut to like 12 different major characters and doing all these different things, the the focus staying 
on, you know, Mando. Um, really, really, it just nails like the essence of what it's got to be like not to be a side character, but to not be the big intergalactic player in the, you know, these, this big universe. And it still touches on all those things still at the same time. I I'm curious, how much does the show spend time with those ideas of people, you know, grappling with their moral positions or, you know, what you might think of as like classic sci-fi ideas, because in the star Wars movies that I've seen, and I haven't seen them all, the bad guys are doing the bad things and the good guys are doing the good things. And you know, that's not what you're watching for. Um, but would you say that the Mandalorian is different in that way? Absolutely. Um, because even like your whole first season of the Mandalorian, you have, you have a bounty hunter. You have a guy who's like, Hey, people pay me money to go and pick up other people and bring them back. So now he's given this task. He's like, hey, here's this bounty. Go get it. Bring it back. Cool. He goes and gets it. And he looks at it and he's like, oh, it's a child. Oh, well, I'm going to turn the child over to these people because that's what I'm getting paid to do. He does it. And then he's like, and then in, in a total shift, like a thing that he's never done when dropping off any of his other bounties, he's like, so what are you going to do with that kid? And, and the client is like, doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. Here's your boatloads of money. Be on your way. And he takes his boatloads of money and he goes and he uses those and gets himself all the shiny new things. And then he has that moment where he's like, yeah, crap. Hmm. And he has to go back. And then even when he goes back, he's like, well, this doctor who is conducting all these experiments on the child, he's like, Nah, I'm not going to kill you. Because like me, you're just doing a job you were hired to do. And there's this interesting balance, too, because at, at risk by, by crossing his own code to do this, he's now jeopardizing his own people, which at this point in the, the story and in the universe, he's not even just getting paid in money. He's getting paid literally in, like, money that was stolen from his people, this precious metal that was stolen from his people who are now also on the run. And so he's jeopardizing it. So he's put in this huge conundrum uh, of like, do I risk everything for what I think is right? And if what I think is right is going to have consequences for everyone else, like how, how do I weigh that? You know? And it's, so it's a really important, like, in look on itself on the things that go on within these larger contextual pieces of, of a larger sci-fi story. So the, the thing with the Mandalorian is that like the whole kind of heroes, three or four characters that are part of that main group, they all have their conflict. No one is, is perfect in their goodness or their darkness, you know, Cara Dune or grief Karga. They're all in this, like they kind of start out bad or they're kind of good. They're all weighing their options. They're figuring it out. And you're kind of, find yourself rooting against them and rooting for them at different times. Um, and they even have some character flips, like a robot that is once like a murder droid gets reprogrammed and becomes Papa, Papa droid, uh, Nanny taking droid. care Nanny droid, mm-hmm. uh, at some point. Right. And you have to find yourself like re re readjusting what you think about each of these characters in some of the episodes. And then sometimes they jump around and come back at times later and you go, well, what's happened to that person in that interim? You know, sometimes they were, 
doing their own thing and sometimes you come back and they're like oh suddenly they're a police officer again you know they're kind of helping out the good guys uh, or maybe they're helping out the bad guys so i think it's it's always there this idea that there is everyone here is gray i think the only the only person that's probably more solid is the main bad dude uh moff gideon who's the big bad big big bad in the show um and even if we talk about like Ahsoka Tano, who's another kind of fan favorite that comes back, I would even say that she's kind of, of course, gray in terms of where she's at. Like, is she doing something good? Is she doing something bad? Is she going against her own decisions? Like, no one's like the Luke character here. No one's like, they're perfect. They're great. There's no Wesley Crusher here, right? There's none of that kind of you Who know, is objectively through. evil. Right. <laughs> it's the worst. To your point, to your point, to your point, though, it's like it's one of those things where, you know, we have the, the classic now phrase that only a Sith deals in absolutes. Right. That's a very Star Wars driven thing. And so, Samara, what your point is, like, objectively, are things black and white? Everyone is expanded. Everyone's gray. Uh, and I think the movies doesn't really give you the chance to to look at those shades of gray that you don't get to see between. You're getting your tropes. You're getting your temple characters and the beauty of what Filoni has done and everyone in the show. Everyone on the show has done it, has allowed all these characters to live and breathe. Um, you specifically start to see, uh, especially with the villains in two, so uh, Giancarlo Esposito's Moff Gideon character is a great example of, through and through, he serves the Empire, maybe himself a little bit more. But there is also a great example, um, so there's a comedian, Bill Burr, hmm. who does two episodes in the series. And the second episode in the series, he's actually faced with his past of being a former a former imperial sharpshooter they have to sneak back into a base and get some the location of uh, a character who has been kidnapped and in order to do that they have to go in deep cover which means burr has to be himself or the person that he used to be until he comes across the imperial officer that caused his entire platoon to be executed basically and so now you have this character as a villain who is just as dark as dark can be like if you're going to crank that scale all the way up like he's arguably more evil than moff gideon because the show episode is actually called uh, the believer this guy has completely bought into the morality or, or should i say lack thereof of the empire he is the total believer and being faced with a person who has grown from that path maybe he was just kind of doing his job but to see that juxtaposition specifically between these two characters is a great example of how the show navigates the the grayness between the black and white of, of character morality. I will I will say, Smyra, to your question, I do not think the show approaches the moral complexities of Star Trek or like Battlestar Galactica, if that's what you're uh, looking for. No. Not at all. No. Um, well, and it and still they... speaks to it speaks to the the larger kind of philosophical part of Star Wars. Uh, in its own way, about there always being a balance. There's always white and black, and, and where those two things come together in each person. So it doesn't speak to, um, you know, the kind of moral absolutes and things that we get from a, a show like Star Trek, but it does take the, the continuing theme um, from the larger stories and, and really take it down to personal levels. So it, it yeah. you know, it works in a different way. And I. And- I- I, just to like, just because we've mentioned him a few times, like I think the Mandalorian himself, like even at out of the gate with the first episode, it never really paints him as a murderer or a killer. He may have killed someone, but 
it's probably it's in self-defense. Right. You know, so like when he does find the child, um, it's it's not interesting to me that he wants to save it because it's the right thing to do. It's interesting to me that he wants to save it because it goes against his code, you know? And what's interesting to me about him is like, how does he transition into becoming a caretaker and a dad, essentially? Well, it's not just his code, but it's his own personal experience. When right. he goes to, as you learn as the show develops, especially yeah. in the first season, he was there to assassinate a child, mm -hmm. alive or dead, bring the child back to us. As the show develops, especially in the first season, you realize that the, Mandal the Mandalorian was in that very same position as the child. Mm -hmm. and But because he was saved, he got the chance that he did. And that's kind of the story, literally, of the first two seasons. Mm -hmm. Is yeah. Grogu Baby Yoda follows a very similar journey to what the Mandalorian did in his youth, and they kind of touch on that a little yeah. bit. And clearly, uh, yeah. clearly, he has never killed a child, which is great, because we don't want to spend time with somebody who kills children. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Just because we've been, we've brought up characters and stuff. Um, how do we like uh, the Mandalorian himself as our, our as our lead? You know, he wears a helmet most of the time. He does not have a lot of dialogue. Um, how do we like him? What's what's? Is he the lead? That's a great question. Is I he? mean, is it just because he is the titular character? Is he the lead? I mean, because he is he is not the thing that pushes the story forward. Okay, so then... This whole thing, like, I mean, it's it's a side quest. So, you know, you're looking at Grogu. You're looking at the child. The entire thing is about get the kid, take the kid to the place, realize that's not the right place, get the kid back, go and meet all of these other people along the way, and each episode becomes about... You know, it's about Cara Dune's story. It's about IG-88's story. It's, uh, you know, it, it's never the Mandalorian story. I, I see where you're going, but I would still argue that to a point where even though you have those side stories with Cara Dune and IG-88, those stories never make up the full episode's plot. Unfortunately, those character stories are almost always kind of what you consider the B-plot, even though they're very important. I would weight them exactly the same, because these characters are so well-developed. And I think that speaks to volumes of how you have this ensemble without necessarily having to have a dedicated... You don't even really get the ensemble fully until season two. Because the first episode is like, oh, here's Grief Cargo's episode, here's Cara Dune's episode. They're, they're in the episode... They're a part of the story. They even may be a catalyst, but at the end of the day, you still start and finish with the Mandalorian and Grogu. And even there's a moment in season two where you don't have Grogu for a couple of episodes. You're right, though, because the driving force is still get the kid. But would that driving force be as strong without the Mandalorian? Like, could we still have this exact same story if it wasn't through the helmeted viewpoint of this guy? And I... While I don't necessarily love the character, I do think that he is still 
a focal point of the show and and deservedly so. I definitely think he's a focal point. I just I just don't know if in conventional storytelling he is the lead. Mm-hmm. Like he's and That's the beauty of the show though. It's it's yeah. very not unconventional in that in that regard. Well, it's like a video game, right? Like in a video game, oftentimes the main character doesn't you see through their eyes, right? Like they don't they kind of are a bit of a shell. So he's he is definitely more shell-ish, you know, a stand-in until later, right? You really don't care a lot about of his story. Mostly it's just is is Grogu or other people going to be impacted by his history at inflection points throughout throughout a particular episode. And it's not probably till the end of season two where now you're like, well, now this is his story, right? Now he's ready to start taking charge because he no longer has his ward. He now is put into a couple of compromising choices he needs to make next. And now you're like, now I want to see what Din does. What is, you know, Din Djarin, the fallen Mandalorian, man without a kid, going to do now um, through any of that? But it's interesting, right? It's, it is a cast. It's a cast of characters that are in this particular place. Hey, um, hey, Smyra, before we go too far, how much spoilery do you care for us to get? You can spoil it. Star okay. Wars is like, I, I, I'm not emotionally invested in in that way. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, it. I don't, I'm not going to watch it, guys. It's fine. No, I, I, I think I probably will, but I, it's fine. You can spoil okay. it. Okay, okay. I just do. wanted to double check. Knowing Thanks. that, I will still dance around spoilers until someone else says something, because <laughs> this is not me as a Star Wars fan. This is me as a, as a creator of content. You owe it to yourself if you're going to give it a watch to at least see how the writers meant to present it to you. Sure, yeah. You know, so so, uh, and if you do like it, don't like it at the end of the day, so be it. But yeah, I'm not I'm not going to speak for everyone else here, but I'm still going to dance around until someone else pops that bubble for you. I, I, I think I think a few bubbles have already been. Yeah, popped, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think we're also looking at the fact that like if anyone who's listening to this oh, podcast, listeners, you're on your own. I'm here for has... Smyra here. I'm here for Smyra. Guys, the other thing is I won't remember any of it. I wish so my brain fun. could do that. I'm so envious. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so IG-11, because it's not IG-88. Oh, right. Uh, Sorry. IG-11. Um, I, you know, I kind of looked at it as like, which characters did I like that were new characters? And which characters did I like that were returning characters? Because we get both of those things, right? So I wanted to see what was new inside there. Um, For me in season one, IG-11 stole it as like the main just fun, interesting character kind of switch who's voiced by... uh, uh, Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. So he brings some of that fun uh, to that experience. And I think there's a couple good turns there. Um, But I also appreciate the the grayness that was Cara Dune from the first season that was inside there. And I thought, you know, as kind of new characters that were introduced... Uh, those two just kind of stuck out to me for for kind of new ones. But I do find myself wondering, and like in thinking about, do I like the Mandalorian as a character? And and the fact of it is, like, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. I'm not that invested in him. Like I'm, and my main interest in later seasons really has significantly less to do with the whole idea of like, well, what's going to happen now with Din, with the Mandalorian? And I'm I'm kind of, you know, a little bit more interested now of like, okay, what happens with like all of the other Mandalorians that he's crossed paths with now? 
what's going to happen with you know the dark saber what's going you know what's going to happen with bo-katan because i really feel like season 2 wrapped up with the whole like whatever happens next for din is intrinsically tied to her and i will always want to see more of katie sackoff in anything anywhere ever and i You're was here. and i was I so didn't excited know that, that katie sackoff was in it katie yeah. sackoff is in a very unique and she's position also too the, she's also the voice of bo-katan in the animated series. Yeah. So, they brought her like, character from CG to Flesh and Blood, uh, which they did that in Rogue One as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Forrest Whitaker's character, he also came from Clone Wars. And so Dave Filoni has a good course history of, you were, you were the actor on the show, let's, let's you want to come on and be live action? And it was huge. Yeah. Like and, when they cast, cast Katie Sackhoff, I was like, oh, I know what character she's going to be. Right. Yeah. And, and it's <laughs> good because she didn't, she didn't think she was going to get the job. Yeah. She thought it was going to go to like some big name person like Scarlett Johansson or someone mm-hmm. like that who has large like the draw. You know, because because somehow she doesn't think Battlestar Galactica was huge. Um but yeah, she she's done a couple of interviews in which she talks about the fact that like she didn't think she was going to get it and when she sat down with uh John Favreau and he's like, "So, she thought she was being punked." So I've I've interviewed Katie and she's very much that type of just humble, just like, I'm just a nerd who I loves, who loves acting (laughs) in the right place at the right time. And so to hear that story is like, oh yeah, that totally sounds like her because that's not her thing. She doesn't realize how important she is to the fabric of the show. And that speaks miles to her as an acting to Dave Filoni writing and creating that character of Bo-Katan and just the whole Mandalorian saga that exists in Clone Wars that has now been carried over into Mandalorian. I'll tell you what, when the Darksaber appeared at the end of season one, <laughs> I screamed. I'm watching it in my living room at eight o'clock in the morning before people are going to work in my house, and I fucking just yelled at the TV. I was like, are you kidding me? What? And that's because, again, I have the, ex- the context, the experience with Filoni. Uh, and so that made me really excited. And then to see that furthered. Uh, I-, I don't know if we're going to talk about what comes next later, but I'm definitely with you in that regard of as oh, what comes that next moment. I mean, be. my house had the same thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, so, you know, I, I, this was one of the questions I kind of threw to the group is um, one of the criticisms uh, that I've heard for multiple people and reviewers and stuff uh, is, you know, parts of season two, specifically The Mandalorian, you know, um, pulling in characters from other shows, you know, and, you know, if you don't know those shows, you don't have the history of Ahsoka Tano or this or that you know, um, it just landed more flat for them and it kind of took away from the identity that the show was trying to forge for itself. So like my question to the group is like, what is too much fan service? Like why is Boba Fett okay, but Ahsoka Tano is not, you know, or, or whatnot. Is there a point of too much fan service? Um, or does there need to be fan service because it's Star Wars? And if you're sitting down to watch a Star Wars show, you you should know Star Wars. You know, like, what's the right answer here? I deal with this a lot. This, this, I actually have this exact conversation a lot. So if I've had it with either of you, I apologize in this room. Uh, but I think that it did do a disservice to, to things. because, And you, you saw this a lot with the sequel trilogy as well. They were banking on people looking at extended presentations and i say this with honesty not insultingly at all so i apologize if it reads that way but your average star wars fan your common fan only watches the movies 
they don't have the TV shows. They don't have the books for context. They don't have all these extra side stories. Sure, they might be good, but they're like, you know what? I only have time for the big product. Um, so I think why Boba Fett is okay and Asaka Tano is not is because Ahsoka, you don't know if you didn't watch any of the other shows. You don't have that connection. You're like, who is she? Cool, she's a badass. This is fun, but I don't have the connection. Oh, Boba Fett. Now, that, that guy, no. That's my hook, and, and I think that's... That's the difference. There is is there in my opinion. Again, there's no like I hate the gatekeeping side of Star Wars, but there's definitely a degree of casual observation versus I'm watching like I'm mass consuming, and I think that definitely does have an impact on the show. I definitely feel like season two went a little too far into that. Um, I I will say this now. I'm heavily in the minority of that final cameo. It was the right choice, but I didn't love it because I. Because it looked what? horrible? No, I have, I have no problem with that. <laughs> I, I grew up with Star Wars. It didn't always look good. Yeah. Still, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I, I have no problem with that. But uh, to see uh, that character show up, it's like, I was watching Mandalorian because we didn't have to deal with the Skywalkers. And <laughs> here we go. This no longer feels like a side story anymore. Now we're literally connected to Luke Skywalker here in the final moments of the show. Okay. I trust you guys to do it right, but I'm just going to need a second to kind of check myself, you know? And I, and I, de- and me personally, I think it's too far, but hearing the feedback from everyone else, I don't think it was too far. So there's definitely a balance there. Do you think you'd feel differently if you, if you didn't know as much about star Wars, because probably other people, you know, did they do the thing where they zoom in on the person's face? Like you're supposed to know. They, who they spent are? five minutes of dramatically revealing. It's like, I know who this is from the very beginning. Could we just rip the bandaid off? Okay. And I think that's a common, con- like, don't let this panel d- dissuade you. I'm not as hardcore of a star Wars fan as like a lot of the hardcore gatekeeping nerds. Uh, in that regard, I love it. I appreciate it. Obviously I'm wearing and representing my merch here in camera for the podcast, but it, I'm definitely kind of in that middle range of, of, of con- consuming it. I haven't watched all of Clone Wars. I've just read a lot and caught up a lot. So, yeah, I, I think what my reaction would be differently if I'd watched more or less. I think that's a very valid and honest question. But I don't know how to answer that because that was not my experience. Um, you know, my, my, my other roommate, for example, they're like, oh, they were really excited to see the ending and stuff like that. So it, it, I definitely think it's going to be subjective. And, and I'll answer that, it a different way because I have I yeah. have a twelve year old and a ten year old, right? That's a, so yeah, when, that's the audience I want to hear about. So when the big reveal happens, right? Luke storms in at the end, you know, as like Robo Jedi and just like kicks ass across the screen in a uh, beautiful scene that's very evocative of the end of Rogue One with Darth Vader. It's great. Um, what my kids actually had been hoping for was another cameo from a character from Rebels, which was Ezra Bridger, which is this other character that was in there because there's a, another nod to another character from rebels in with that, with a Thrawn reference. So they're hoping like, well, Luke's not going to show up. The show is too small for Luke to show up. So who's the other, only other Jedi we know as an audience, it's Ezra. So they're like, it's going to show up. And then when the X wing shows the kind of pulls up, they're like, Oh, and they were like fine with it. And it was really good, but that was more disappointing because they had attached more to Ezra's story. Um, watching four seasons of a show as kids growing up, that was what they wanted to see. So they're like, well, at least they mentioned this other character and we better see him in the next season, right? Like that, like Luke is gone and they're happy he's gone. 
So Luke, think, Luke showed up and they were disappointed. Oh my God! I would love like to hear the writers' this, feedback. This is why I get along with your kids so well. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I have a little bit of that too because I, I, you know, I grew up with Star Wars. I didn't watch the animated stuff up until like getting ready for the Mandalorian. And I enjoyed it, and I appreciate it. So when you do the fan service of, you know, you've got Ahsoka, and you've got, um, you know, the Dark Saber, and you get uh, Bo-Katan, and, and these other things, then you've got the Luke reveal at the end. And without the hood coming off, we all know who it is. But you want to talk about doing fan service, like, to get nerdy? That should have been Sebastian Stan, right? If you want, oh, yeah. if you want to use. If you want to use this show to launch other, you know, spinoffs and things like that, you go with the thing people have been clamoring for for years, which is Sebastian Stan playing the young Luke Skywalker, and then test how that works live screen and send that off into its own show. And then you can have the big, you know, Luke Skywalker side stuff. You can have the little... Uh, Din Djarin stuff. You can have the Boba Fett stuff. You can see where things go with Ahsoka and Thrawn and all of that. So it's like, it wasn't it wasn't weighted the same way for me. I I loved seeing that it was you know Luke Hamill and and the whole thing or Mark Hamill Luke Hamill. See Luke here Hamill. we go. <laughs> yes, Hamill. might as well be. Might as well be. But it's like if you're gonna go hard, go hard. And that one, for, for as much as I enjoyed the the cameo. I think you could have done something different with it and still made it really cool. I think that was the ultimate fan service moment, though, but that's because they're fans of Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill's just a national treasure, right? Like, he's one of everyone's favorite For human sure. beings. And I think, like, they just wanted to work with Mark Hamill and have him on the show at least once, even in the, in the regard that they did. And I think if, they, if that character was to continue going, they'd have to recast Luke Skywalker, which, holy crap, just saying that is a weird thing to say. But there's precedent for it. I mean, we have the Obi-Wan show coming out, and they're not recasting that. But that's because the actor has aged to the point of the character. This is the reverse of that. So I definitely think that having Luke Skywalker show up, ultimate fan service, it was fine. But it's more so the these kids are in a sandbox. They're making the show, and they're looking at what well, toys they have. Literally, right? To, they yeah, talk literally. about they use toys to Yeah, they're, they're looking at toys to make things, and they're like, oh... Can we get Mark Hamill? Let's see if we can get Mark Hamill. Because having Luke Skywalker wasn't even in the cards. It wasn't even the original design of season two. They just figured out they could do it, so they did it. Was it better or worse than Ed Sheeran showing up on Game of Thrones? <laughs> Is there anything worse I, than I think, Ed Sheeran? Yeah. I had no, I had no problem with that, even though it took me out of the moment. I'm that nerd that, like... I'm a huge Muppet nerd, and so anytime I see a human being in a Muppet show, I'm like, oh, I know this famous person. So, like, I'm used to that, but, man, the fan clap back on Ed Sheeran is rough, isn't it? So <laughs> I, I didn't know what he looked like, and I didn't know, like, I think I knew it would know that name, but I was like, why did this random extra get this, like, big close-up, and then he sang a song, and I, like, waited for him to do something, and he didn't, and I was like, that was a really weird choice. I was in your camp. That, I was in your camp, Smyra. I saw that episode. I do not, I did not know who Ed Sheeran was, and I was like, yeah. wow. Good, good for this day player to like be up, right. upgraded on good set. Like, good for him. That Rupert Grint looking guy really yeah. has a good then voice. I, then I found know? out like who it was. I was Josh like, oh. Groban on Ally McBeal. Yeah, but but then take that experience and apply it to like when Ahsoka shows up. You know, it's it's like the exact things like I don't. Who is this person getting all this screen time? I don't know this person. And meanwhile, the person next to you is freaking out positively or negatively. You know, so I, that is what season two. 
I'm not going to say it's filled to the brim with that, but like compare season one and season two. Season one hardly had any of that. Season two definitely turned that up. It turned it up, but I, I do feel it's like I understand the point, but the, the Mandalorian, like part of the DNA of the show is he goes somewhere and he meets like guest character for that episode, you know? Mm-hmm. So like in that regards, Ahsoka totally works and Bo-Katan and Timothy Oliphant that's what I'm gonna call him I don't remember his name (laughs) um you know like they all work in that regards um yeah I don't know it's just criticisms I've heard I mean and I I recognize the idea that if you are someone who has not seen any of the animated works so maybe Bo-Katan and Ahsoka Tana don't mean anything to you I get that maybe you aren't as excited as the person sitting next to you who recognizes them. But, you know, if if you're mad about seeing this badass show up who you don't recognize, why weren't you mad about Cara Dune? Exactly. exactly. I mean, well, so you I'm, know, it's... I'm wondering, is it is it, and it maybe is hard to answer if you did know about these characters before, but, you know, if is it someone who just, like, shows up, they get a big, you know, zoom in, close up and then they disappear and it's really weird or is it a character who like appears and like has a role and a plot and some character development they definitely yeah. yeah they definitely had like a role and a plot and things to do and they're also things that are introduced in such a way where you're like you're looking at it and being like why are people freaking out so much about this you can look it up mm-hmm. you yeah, can do than, like, the your fall. research right. yeah like, but also and other be than like, like the the sweeps weeks that we might have grown up with, right? Like on this special episode, George Clooney shows up. Um, right. Every one of the people that shows up, whether you love it or hate it, they have their own story that is clearly not related to the A story, and they are clearly passing through. Whereas I think some of the other times in other shows past, if someone shows up, you're like, ooh, that's a famous person, they're playing that character, and then they go away. Like, their character doesn't have any more role, and you're all like, there's clearly a bigger universe here. This character has a story, either I will learn about it in the show, or I need to go to Wikipedia and look it up, uh, and you can choose to be frustrated by that or not. But Star or Wars don't look has a long his or don't look right. it up, right? right? Star Wars has a long history of, like, lines that are throwaway lines that allude to a bigger universe that don't amount to anything unless you're a very tiny author that works for Delray Publishing and want to write a 20-page short story in an <laughs> anthology of characters in the back of the cantina on on Tatooine be my guest um but there's there that was a lot of what these things were and a lot of name dropping and so for the fans that liked it it's good for the fans that I do think to Chris's point it did feel a little forced it was a little brimmy um to one of those and you could feel just like some of the stuff that happened in like Star Trek Discovery with Michelle Yeoh's character in this past season you could feel the spin-offs happening as they were right in front of you mm-hmm. uh, you're like this is either going to and then all of a sudden I think it was probably days after the couple of some of these episodes when Disney does their big summit and they say look we've got seven new Star Wars shows for you deal with it and you're like now I see why that episode did the test now I yeah. see why that happened because if it wasn't ready then they might if everyone said on that character maybe they might have pushed the show off six months or a year if it was really a bad reception. To DJ's point about Sebastian Stan or Luke Skywalker in the early years. And to DJ's point, corporate greed. (laughs) Well, and the equivalency here for Star Trek is like, if if you've watched Star Trek Picard, this is like when uh, 
he takes uh i just totally lost her name the the female uh, android character and they go visit Riker and they see troy isa yeah yeah and then they're so they're there for an episode you get a little bit of like hey what's happened to these people since then and then they disappear and then you get a little bit more like at the end just as that little teaser of like hey look who's back totally picard was and then they announced the the new Riker spinoff it it very much was i mean when and when it comes to you know Star Wars and fan service, and this has happened, like, and not just for Mandalorian, but across like all of the later properties, like all of the later movies. It has always been just stuffed with we're going to do this thing that evokes the Cantina in Mos Eisley. We're going to do this thing that, you know, uh, evokes this character. We're going to do this thing that's basically a direct rip of the land speeder chases. Like, they've always done that. And I. As a fan, I find those things much more annoying than the here's an actual character with a personality and a story, and they're going to take part in this story for a little while. Like, I I find all those little, like, sprinkled nods because if it was one of those, like, oh, this is just a slow passing thing in the background that maybe you didn't even notice as a little Easter egg for people who are super dedicated, great. But the times that they're like, Remember the cantina? Huh? All those wacky aliens? People love that cantina. Let's take a look at that cantina. Like yeah, that. That bugs me. When the Easter egg becomes the focus, it's no longer an Easter egg. Right. And, and I think that's something that you see a lot of in Star Wars fandom. And I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, Kitten. It's like, I would rather get these new ideas. Even if they don't work, I'm happy that we have them. Because, man, I'm so tired of self-referential material that just... You live in the universe. All right, cool. I've seen the same five things. I really want to see more of this universe. And I think that's definitely the broader appeal of The Mandalorian, though. Right. Because it, it, it's rooted in stuff that we knew in the aesthetic. That's why Rogue One, I think, is loved uh, by a lot of people because it has that aesthetic. It has that that fiber that literally connects into Episode Four. This is the back end of that. It literally connects after that. You have that familiarity with it without being self-referential. And I think Favreau and Filoni have done a good job threading that. Not always, but for the most part, threading that needle. So let's let's drift a little bit into the future. shows um uh just a few moments ago so smyra by the time you get around to ever watching this show there may be a whole universe of star wars content for you to delve into there there already is there's so much that if i like really got the idea in my head i could spend the next like few years so so before we chat about the future smyra are there any is there anything we've touched on or any questions that you want to ask I don't know what a Mandalorian is. I know that was a joke earlier, but I actually don't know. I feel the definition has changed a few times depending on who you ask. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just that question goes out to the group. I'll let you all define what a Mandalorian is. So, for the for the sake of the series, 
the Mandalorian is specifically this one dude who was like raised in this race slash culture. Um, uh, I haven't been able to find anything like super clear on whether or not like, oh, kind of like all the people from Tatooine are like this race, all the people from, you know, but, you know, they're from Mandalore. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're okay. Mandalorians, yeah. but it does it does have a lot more specifically to do with the culture, and it's the whole like they've got this armor. It's made out of Beskar steel, which is like really awesome, super good steel. Um, and you do learn a little bit later in which you know his whole thing is like I'm you know I never take my helmet off. Nobody ever sees my face. That's just not what we do. Uh, but then later he meets. Bo-Katan and a bunch of other Mandalorians and they take their helmets off and he's like, what? Why? Why? And they're like, oh, you're Didn't from the insane you? you're allowed to date. sect you of can people. Date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're from that they're, cult. I like yeah. that. That's very interesting. Yeah, so they sort and of point so- out to him that like the, the ones who are like, no, we never take off our armor or our helmets and nobody sees our faces. They're like, yeah, y'all are kind of radical nut jobs. Yeah, they're, huh. they're, and that's, they're that's like... That's one of the really interesting... Go ahead. Yeah, I was just to like piggyback off that. That you know, like think Klingons, but they're not at like Mandalorians are not nearly as feral, feral or bloodlusty as Klingons. And you know, there's like more technology that they play with. It's interesting you that know? you said Klingons because I was like, oh, the way that Worf was raised on Earth and had this idea about Klingons being very yeah. austere, and then he met That's real Klingons on. and yes. they're not like that at all. Worf, yep. Worf so, is a, a really better. Interesting... Yeah, Worf is like a really Worf would be a perfect Mandalorian. Like Worf specifically, <laughs> not his brother, it's a really interesting, not oh, Gowron. I keep stepping on you, Chris. Yeah. No, go ahead, DJ. It's What's a up? really interesting dynamic uh, in the sense that there are like pure blood Mandalorians who who are born, raised, and can tie their ancestry back to Mandalore, and then there are those like indoctrinated into the kind of the the religious sect of it, and so as his character progresses from this like pure bounty hunter with his code to being more of an adoptive father figure. He's not only faced with like, do I violate my code? But he's also then challenged with this idea of like, have I really been kind of like living the crazy version of what it means to be a Mandalorian? And and again, without being too spoilery, there is this uh, symbol that the leader of Mandalore or or the so the the growing like larger number of Mandalorians as a whole has to possess in order to really be the leader and it winds up in his possession so he's kind of both an outsider and an insider to it and he's then confronted by like the people that are like all the religious side of this stuff that you're buying into that's not the thing so when people are constantly repeating around this show this is the way that's like both the, you know, the it's like the Marines saying hoorah or the army with her, you know, hoo-yah or whatever it is, like an acknowledgement. But at the same time, it really speaks to the religious part of it. And then it turns out that the way is not exactly the way. So when you talk about what the future of this show brings, like it opens up a whole new set of things of like self-exploration and uh, exploration of like two warring factions of the same uh, again, kind of religion, society, cult, politics, lots of different things. In the, yeah, yeah, politics. That's a way more compelling pitch to me than like anything that I had heard so far. It's like, and he's got Baby but, Yoda, but and he's got to save him. 
but none of that pops up until like the end of season two and then even a lot of that is lost if you haven't watched rebels mm-hmm. or at least googled it yeah yeah it, it, it's done your research it's muddled but though. i think you'd like yeah. i think you'd like rebels a lot more than you would like the mandalorian i i, I think i would from what i've heard about it Reynolds is really yeah, I mean, Bo-Katan tries to give some background in her episode, and it doesn't. It's very quick. It's very yeah. rushed. It's very back of the baseball card of like, let me tell you <laughs> what this is, and then you're gonna run. Yeah, but, but I think that that's also like a detriment. I love the the short runtime for these episodes, and they do a lot historically with their 30 minute runtime. But moments like that, they really don't have time to expand on. And and the finale, like maybe the finale should have been a little bit longer. Uh, maybe they could have balanced a little bit more because you're right, Ryan. Like they just kind of tease, like, "Oh, wow, he's we're gonna have to handle that next season, aren't we?" And I think that is where the show's gonna have to go. Like Kitten kind of touched on that earlier in our recording, that the inevitable season three, you're gonna have to see a time jump. But cool, Grogu's story mostly done. I now want to see what the fallout of Mandalore is going to be because now you have this religious zealot who is only just now realizing he's a religious zealot who now accidentally fell into the leadership of the entire race of his people how and he doesn't care for it he's like just you're the leader now and they're like no that's not how it works and he's like huh well i don't care right now and you and you're not and it doesn't the show doesn't give that time to breathe yeah i i have yeah yeah i i'm 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 kind of go ahead i'm kind of okay with it not having that time to to breathe oh, I'm with you yeah. really because you know this is something like as as we're sort of following this whole thing largely through his eyes you know like he didn't know anything about this he doesn't nope. know anything uh, about the dark saber so he's like whatever and so it's like yo here take it back and they're like nope can't do that like the fact that that's left so open I think works with this series like it's nice like having you know having watched the the animated ones and like having that bit of like insider knowledge but if i had only ever watched the mandalorian and i only knew as much as din knew as far as what that thing was and what it meant i think that's fine mm-hmm. I, I think that I completely works yeah. yeah i agree i just think it, i'm just saying it didn't have room to grow and expand but I I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, right? You know? It's just yeah, it, yeah. it's part of the next story, yeah. And yeah, it's 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 just here's your carrot. Let's get you to the next location. <laughs> you know, that's all it is. And this, and it, this I, dark I think it's very saber, smartly done. Yeah. Uh, so, so you know, the the dark saber is is not like completely a MacGuffin. It's more like uh, it's a it's a special lightsaber that kind of operates uh, under like the Harry Potter rules for how you can actually earn the the master wand you can't just hand it to someone and then be like here the power is yours like it has to be won in battle you know kind of that kind of a thing so he's now in this point where the one other like mandalorian from outside his small sect of things that he's gotten to know that is teaching him all about all these other things that has become his ally is also now like that's mine and i will take it from you and so it sets up an interesting, also you know, dynamic to, to follow of like, can we still be friends if yeah. you have to punch me and kick my ass? Because it is supposed to be or? hers. Like, like yeah, you, it you was leave, hers. You leave. The, so the so when the when when the dark saber shows up in Mandalorian, 
the last time we saw it, it was in the hands of Bo-Katan. She was a leader of the Mandalorians. And it was actually handed to her. She didn't have to fight for it. So they're changing the rules mm-hmm. as they go. But I think that's fine in the context of storytelling. You know, your story evolves. And and tr- and funny enough, uh, the Darksaber was introduced by Jon Favreau's character on Clone Wars. Yep. So d- 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 so that's it was also important to, for Favreau to bring this into reality as well. And they kind of blended to that. So yeah, the, di- the, 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 the dynamic of, you're kind of a mentor. Are you going to kill me? <laughs> Is... It's very fascinating, you know? And I think, you know, to get to the show, I mean, to your point, Chris, right? Like to the the panoply of shows that are coming, right? I think the ones that we've got coming off of this one, right? We've got the Ahsoka show, which is, we know pretty much, like the Ahsoka show is going to be some continuation of the end of Rebels the cartoon. And the main one or two characters from that show that were on a quest to find some characters uh, intersect with this show, and we don't know exactly where it is oh, yet. They're going to have to to find what? Such to a cliffhanger! Find no, we'll never know. We'll never he's know. Back oh, now, he's, back. he's oh, back. No. He's back. He's back now. I'm back. All right. Um, so those characters from Rebels are leaving, right? Ahsoka and probably Sabine Wren are on this quest to find all of this, and their story intersects with Mando's story in season two. We don't know exactly chronologically where they intersect specifically yet, whether she's how long she's been on her quest or what she has or not found with Thrawn. But that's the one that fans have been yelling about for years that they wanted to see the end of Rebels. So like Ahsoka is the continuation of that story. Then we have Rangers of the New Republic. I don't know if there's enough details on which specifically where that fits, but there's that one. It's in the same and time then we've period. Got... I think they said it was in the same time period. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sure. but wherever, wherever it kind of spins off. Right. Is it pre-Cara yeah. Dune? Is it Cara Dune spinning off now? I'm assuming it's her and the Rangers spinning off because there's a couple lines that are thrown away in season two about her leading up a group of people yeah. for the fledgling New Republic again. And then you have the Book of Boba Fett, which yes. is the next one. So I think you have three shows in this time period. Mm-hmm. Plus, you have Star Wars Andor, which is going to be a prequel to Rogue One Yep. that is coming out. You have Star Wars uh, Acolyte, which is a TV show set in the new High Republic, which is 200 years before the prequels. And then you've hmm. got Star Wars Bad Batch, which is an animated series that should show the origins of um, Ming-Na Wen's character. Um, yeah, and continue the Bad Batch story. Bad and Batch. continue yeah. the Bad Batch that were introduced in Clone Wars Season 7. Yeah. And then you've got Star Wars Visions, which is a, another series of animated stuff, and Star Wars Droids. Like, that's all Star Wars. And Obi-Wan. And, and Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. I forgot Obi-Wan. Yeah. I mean, Disney Disney realized... A lot of people, and I, I think I, I've been in a lot of the Star Wars uh, podcasts with you guys here, I think for all the sequel trilogy at least, there's been a debate as to whether or not was Disney good for Star Wars. And I, I will stand firm in the belief that mediocre Star Wars is still better than no Star Wars at all. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Disney's like, yeah, you know what? We've got all this money. Here here it is. And I think that harkens back to previous question is like, are we, is there too much Star Wars now? Or will there be too much Star Wars five years from now? Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I'm excited to see it either way. You know, and, and the beauty the beauty of all of these things that you rattled off there was holy crap, I forgot how many there were. God, yeah. <laughs> and, and if they get one, the cadence one, one right, thing, if they get the release yeah. schedule right so that we can 
kind of absorb it and not be inundated, I think is well, is yeah. definitely going to hinge on that for the, sure. The, the point that I want to make though before that before we move on real quick is that there's so much stuff which one amazing good for them, but it all doesn't have to be for me. It all doesn't have to be for you. There's so much variance now in the product that I think all of it it's impossible for it to be for any one person now. Like it's everyone's product now and I hope that they take the care needed to to get everyone to the table. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not enough of this fighting between Star Wars fans. <laughs> my my other guests, kind of what are what are your what are your thoughts or hopes, you know, specifically for Mandalorian going forward and, you know, how it relates to these other shows if it does. Well, I'll say that because I'm not emotionally invested and I don't worry about Star Wars, you know, potentially burning out or what we'll think about it in five years, I I am interested in that idea of like, maybe there will be different kinds of Star Wars, right? Maybe something that is a little more in that, like it is maybe less space fantasy and more, um, I don't know, just like lots of borrowing from different genres or different formats that would be more interesting to me. I think Star Trek has set a good example with that, right? Like, um, you had there's only so many different enterprise ships you can be on, so they were like, "Hey, let's uh, let's do one on a space station and see how that works out." The best one. Uh, yeah, let's let's. <laughs> it is. We're all in the same boat there. Let's really let's good. take this ship, but like fling it to the other end of the universe and see how that does. Like, let's go back in time and kind of trace the origins of how we got to where we started. You know, so there's some precedent for it there. Um, the worry that I have, though, is that they're going to do uh, to Star Wars what happened with the like the Marvel Netflix shows, which is you start out really strong, like Daredevil and Jessica Jones, and then you're like, yeah, well, what if we do uh, Iron Fist one? And that doesn't go well <laughs> at all, right? But they keep kind of pushing it, and they're like, well, let's do Luke Cage and Punisher, and then so you get some other success, and at the end of the day, they're like this isn't all working together. So now for different reasons, it's all scrapped. And there are us fans sitting around going, can you bring back just the couple of parts that were really good, please? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. and then not to mention, and again, just to to round out the Marvel analogy, there have been other shows, right? There's the cloak and dagger one, which is on a completely different network that I don't think I've ever actually seen. Um, You know, and then there was, there's the, uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show, which is really good and ties to the was bigger canon? things. Was it not? <laughs> right. I mean, so there, there, I, I, the worry that I have is when you flood the market with it, you're going to start, you know, kind of really watering down the quality. And even though Disney has the budget to put big names and put, you know, big stars and people behind it, you're going to burn people out at some point. You know, that's that's my fear. So I I would say that if they keep the connection, which, you know, we watched a lot of those Marvels as a family, right? Like S.H.I.E.L.D. after season two stopped connecting Daredevil them. They kept referring to the incident in New York, but they really stopped being a part of that MCU because of TV and movie problem connections between background politics. I do hope, though, that if they keep Favreau and you keep that here. That the the thread is there, at least that your know, yeah. cohesion that, and I think Star Wars has done a good job across video games and books and comics and 
TV shows and movies to connect that. So when you do see a nod of a character that comes from show to book to video game, you know, um, the character that Chris couldn't mention, Cobb Vance, uh, from the, the who had Boba Fett's armor, he showed up in a book. Not yep. in an animated show. And he gets a real-eyed Timothy, Timothy Oliphant playing him. And like so it didn't matter to anyone else. I'm like, aha, I know who that is. I know what's going to happen in this episode because I read the book. Read the book. Um, but then, so and, 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 and the author of the we... book was really thrilled to that as well because when he wrote Cobb Vance in the book, the entire time he's writing the character in the book, he's imagining Timothy Oliphant. Really? Doing the thing. <laughs> he didn't realize that Timothy Oliphant was playing his character until he's watching the episode of The Mandalorian. And he's like... This is amazing. I, like, I get why they couldn't tell me, but like again, fan service for the author and whatnot like that. But yeah, they they being able to tie everything together and have that connective thread is going to be essential for this to not feel stale. But there is so much of it that it still like even with all that connective material, it still very much could feel, I don't know, like too immersive, too too heavy. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the complaints that I had, you know, when I was on for the uh, the episode eight or nine podcast, and we're talking about like, well, how do you, you know, how do you feel about this story? And it's like, it's great if you've read all the comics and all the things and, and all the books and every single other show, but if you just want to sit down and watch the movie, you know, then you find out all these other things are going on. You, it can push you to the edge of feeling like you're left out. So. I don't want this to become like a second job in order to continue being a fan. I want to be able to enjoy it, but I don't want to feel like I don't want to have to immerse my free time in it. Right. Like I'd like to do other things with my time as well. I think looking at so many other properties that are going to be coming out, it's, it's way too early in the game to call whether or not this is going to be a good thing or a bad thing. Because there is the potential that it's just going to be too much and they're going to put too much effort into tying all of these things together. So to DJ's point, like you can't enjoy one thing without having watched the other. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of things that have crossover episodes, no matter what you're looking at, that you're like, wait, I don't watch that other series, so this episode is missing things. I think it's totally possible to have things where like, yeah, maybe this episode of, you know, whatever Bo-Katan's doing now does have a crossover with whatever Boba Fett's doing now. But if they do it right, if it's written well, then, you know, you'll have just enough exposition in one to be able to catch up on everything. So you don't necessarily have to be watching both. Um, but I do find myself wondering, I mean, like there's, there are a lot of brilliant writers and showrunners out there. Obviously Dave Filoni, uh, Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau are not going to helm all of these series. Like that would just, that would be insane. And they could not bear that burden, um, and do it well. Um, so I think a lot of it does depend on who these shows get given to and you know where they decide to take them like there's there's going to be a lot of pressure on these showrunners and writers to step up and and do things that are worthy because mandalorian has done so well but i also see disney very much taking an approach to be like it's a shotgun approach 
you know, like we're, we're going to throw a dozen things out there and we're going to see what hits. And if it doesn't, it's scrapped and who cares? And, and that's that. Um, so, you know, I, am I excited about the potential of it? Yes. Am I also somebody who's kind of a curmudgeon about all things? And even as much as I like the Mandalorian, I look at it and I have some very distinct things where I'm like, well, this element is crap. Um, I, I fully expect that some of these things that are going to come out are going to be absolute crap. It's inevitable. And that's okay. <laughs> and and that is still... Winners. Right. And that is still going into it, you know, openly with like with what Crispy said, that like, it's not all for me. You know, I, I look at a lot of the later movies that came out and I look at them and I'm like, you know what, they weren't they weren't for me. Like, um, but you know, but there are there are people who enjoyed them and, you know, and, and bless their pointy little heads for it, they can they can enjoy them. That's great. You know, I'm not gonna yuck someone else's yum on that. Um, and yes, I do sometimes teach small children, so I do have that phrase. Um, but, but you know, that's that's fine. I just as long as people fully expect, if they look at me, they're like, "This is really good." I'm retraining myself not to look at them and be like, "That's not good." I will, however, look at them and be like, "Really? Why do you think it's good? What is good about it?" Because I also think it's fully possible that you can enjoy something but still fully acknowledge that it is not good. Oh, yeah. That's... Those of us who grew up with 70s horror films will totally agree with you. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> you know? I, yeah. I sometimes so... feel like people don't understand my, like, when I point out insanely illogical things about Star Trek, it's like, I'm not complaining. Like, that's part of the process of enjoying Observation is not a complaint. It. Like, you know, when on TNG someone brings a pad to Picard's desk, he doesn't say, why didn't you email this to me? Like, <laughs> right. It's like I have a full like it's all right here. My entire yeah. desk it's just is a device where you can just like flick that over and I can look at it. And that's, yeah. that's I, like, I had a, yeah yeah that's like out of love. I'm like look at this thing. Look at it was like a well piece think about of when time. the show was written. Yeah exactly. It's, it, it's, it's a product of its time and their view of the future. And to you me, to, you had, sorry with, with Star Wars and with Star Trek and with any property that is this old, like part of the joy is like looking at that change and like how did they think about the future how did they think about good and evil and what did they think a hero was and how is that different than what we think a hero is now and i you know criticism is a part of that enjoyment and getting more out yeah. of it i mean like, like with mandalorian why can he not figure out how to get himself some ground transportation right how many episodes do you start off be like, I'm going to land here that's really far away from where I need to be, and I'm going to have to jump through all these hoops to source some ground transportation. He's got space. He's got Various money. Various points through he it all. Buy He's a little, had little... money. People have offered him. They've been straight up like, here, take this. Nah, nah. Yeah, Dude. It's pride. Oh, it's pride. I fly him there. As the yeah. parent, I struggled with the number of times he is to say, horrible parent leaving Grogu to like he just like walks off and leaves this little four inch creature to like meander after him I love that he's a horrible parent I love it I love it It, I love that it smacks of like David Harbour from Stranger Things dealing with Eleven and I flipping love (laughs) that like he's just I mean because he's he's totally not prepared for that yeah he's totally totally prepared for it but he also acknowledges like like Eleven and Grogu they both have a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Eh, the kid's probably fine on its own. Right, right. It, 
kid'll be kid'll be fine. Yeah. Maybe it won't be. Uh, you know. Yeah. And we and, just look the other way. Yeah. <laughs> that that is one of the that is one of the things I I worry about going forward, specifically with the Mandalorian. Like I love the relationship between Grogu and Mando, and we, you know, spoiler alert, we are losing Grogu for some time. So you know how <laughs> you know what is the show are. going to do? You know, and I think I think kind of what they planted is to explore Mandalore. I have never found Mandalore interesting. Like, it's just been very muddled in all of its presentations. Like, it's a warlike place, but when we meet them in Clone Wars, which is during a war, they're under peaceful times. But there's this separatist group and this thing over here, and then this thing has changed, and, like, definitions have changed. Um, so I'm just... I'm confused. Are you still describing the Klingons? Right? <laughs> right? So, I, I mean, I... I, I I really trust Dave Filoni. So if any, you know, he had the hard job, That's where I'm at. which was he had to take something out of the prequels and make it good, and he did that. So you know, he he will probably do very well with whatever he does. I'll just be curious what they do. The yeah. the fact that Kevin Feige is coming over from the Marvel properties to now kind of like overrule everything like he's he is the one ring that rules them all now for star wars right oh, is he? Like, i totally forgot they're bringing them over as well the, the, so they're obviously looking at big things and they want to have some level of cohesion if not interconnectedness but like listen kevin feige was still at the helm of marvel when we got things like thor thor the dark world so you know not everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows that's fine yeah I mean, but I, th- I, th- I think, and that's something that we all discussed in the previous Star Wars podcast was whether or not you loved or hated the films. Uh, and we've, uh, we have previous podcasts for that. The one thing that we all agreed on was the one thing that was missing was a singular vision that con- above all three. Yeah. Each each thing was its own thing, and it and it just 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 discounted previous pieces, even stuff that it did. And I think having one person being the driving voice behind all of these shows will at least automatically give all these properties a much stronger chance than the sequel trilogy ever did. And I had, know, I had put counter- so much hope into the story group that I thought the story group was going to be the cohesiveness, at least behind the scenes. But even then, they didn't go ahead and, and do that. You know, like seeing inter- interviews with like Ryan Johnson being like, I wanted a ship to blow through other ships through hyperspace, and I told the story group to deal with it. And the story group was like, okay, we'll deal with it. It's like, ugh. <laughs> Well, you know, and especially when we talk about fan base and fan service, I mean, we're also the same group of fans that like, guys, you remember when Lucas was in charge and that everything was great, but then we also bitch like nonstop about the prequel movies. So you're never going to be able to appease everybody. I just hope that they just put their best foot forward, you know, don't just yeah. slap shit together and then call it Star Wars. Well, I think that's a great place to spread that's a good button there. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> we, we are unfortunately near our end time here. So, um, Smyra, I just realized we never found out. Did you did you buy the Picard data artwork? Did you win it as the prize? No, we had to okay. raffle and I wasn't allowed to enter the raffle. Okay. And I don't I... think the person who won it was happy about it. Okay, I'm not sure where we landed on that, so I really wanted to check in. That's a fault with that person. Yeah, I agree. Let's just acknowledge <laughs> that. Um, if you, if you give us a name, don't it. ask us if that art shows up. That's all we're going to say. Well, Smyra, hopefully at some point you will give The Mandalorian a watch. Yeah, yeah I think I will it's after great. this. And I mean, yeah, it's like the stuff about the uh, 
him being in a small sect of a larger religion that is actually, you know, not identical to what he got. Like that's, that is interesting to me. And I know that's something that comes way at the end, but maybe that means it's moving in a direction of, you know, interesting stories like that. And they're 30 minute episodes, maybe a little bit longer. You're not talking about an hour long mm-hmm. stuff. Like you can chew through one or two of them in a night and it's not a big deal. Yeah. That's true. Gone are the 22 episode hour long seasons of Star Trek. Here are the 20 to 30 minute, 10 episode series of the modern era. And I am so much thankful for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's bring our Mandalorian discussion to a close for now. Um, let's go around real quick and just kind of pimp whatever you got coming out. If there's any projects that you're working on, um, kitten, let's start with you. Where can people find and follow you and, and all sorts of stuff. Oh, goodness. Stalkers of the world come to me. Um, um, I have a YouTube channel that I'm really lazy about. I think if you do a YouTube search for Kitten McCreary, you'll find some stuff. Um, I did make a short film kind of early on in the pandemic that is part of sheltershorts.com that was put together in an effort to raise money for World Kitchen, uh, which was great. Um, But uh, yeah, pandemic life. So I don't have a lot going on right now except COVID-19, which is why we are recording remotely. DJ, what about you, my friend? Uh, I'm not an actor, theater, interesting person whatsoever. I'm just hanging out in my garage right now. So, Where can I, we I, buy I your know. like sloughed off skin cells? You don't want that. I I'm, just go I'm to his garbage. It. I mean, <laughs> Very good. Uh, Ryan, what about you? Uh, I am actually going to be doing my first uh, stand-up play. Um, I've actually never performed off script, so I'm doing my first thing with my wife at the end of February uh, around the Skokie uh, Devonshire Playhouse up here. It's called the Radio Disaster Play. We are still figuring out whether it's going to be in person or Zoom or some combination of both uh, through any of that. And um, that's kind of the big stuff I got going on. Very good. Chris? Yeah, I... Don't have a whole lot going on right now. Pandemic life, you know, like I just wrapped on Dragon Con a couple months ago and uh, beyond that, I've just been kind of coasting. So we'll see what 2021 has to bring. I'm generally optimistic. So even though I'm not an optimistic person, I'm hopeful. So let's have some good stuff. Smyra, where can people follow you to learn about your um, Catherine Janeway musings and whatnot? (laughs) Um, Well, I, I no longer make stuff for public consumption, but I'll, him some podcasts that I like that I think Ooh. deserve attention if I'm allowed to do that. You are totally allowed to do that. So my friends started a, a podcast this year called X-Trex, where they, one is a super fan of Star, the Star Trek, the original series, one is a super fan of the X-Files, and each episode they watch and review two sort of thematically related episodes, and it's very like nerdy and horny and funny, and I recommend it. X-Trex. Um, and then there's also a podcast called My Mama Told Me, and it's this guy, Langston Kerman, who uh, he talks to people about um, basically conspiracy theories that they've heard. It's usually through a black lens and how like people of color tend to uh, like just the, the culture of conspiracy theories in those communities. And it's that sounds heavy, but it's very funny, like very, very funny. Um, and it's it's worth a listen and it will probably have like comedians that you've heard of so just like pick out an episode of someone you recognize and like um i think that's everything everything else you guys would have heard of nice those are excellent recommendations 
Uh, I've been your host, Chris. If you want to follow me, you can follow me at, at Chris Bashan or C Bashan on the Instagram and the Twitters and all that stuff. Uh, we have many topics coming up later this year on Nerd Outcast Podcast. We're going to talk about Dune because uh, that got pushed back. We're going to talk about Dark Souls. We just did a big episode on The Witcher and uh, I think Watchmen. Watchmen is coming up in the not-too-distant future. So there are many interesting nerdy things that we will be discussing my friends, we did it. Thank you so much for chatting Yay. about Woo-hoo. Mandalorian. Uh, I've been your host, Chris Bashan, and speaking with me about The Mandalorian have been... Kitten McCreary. DJ Fink, and this is the way. Ryan Bond. Crispy. Smyra Rady. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.